Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Tuesday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Streaming online at supertalk.fm. Welcome. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. You can find them online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing or refinancing needs of any kind and you're in North Mississippi, let Mississippi Land Bank help. It's what they do. It's what they've been doing for a really long time. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. The land. Monday night football last night, uh, suffice it to say, not as good in week two as it was in week one. Cleveland wins over the New York Jets in an ugly game that saw another quarterback go down for the year. Trevor Simeon, not necessarily a household name, but he was the Jets' guy after uh, Sam Darnold's diagnosis of mono. And now Luke Falk is their guy until Sam Darnold returns after a grisly ankle injury, a couple of torn uh, ligaments in the ankle. I'm not really sure how Trevor Simeon walked off the field, but he did, nevertheless, one way or another. Uh, But he didn't go very far after he got off the field. That was a yucky game last night, Borky. Yeah, it wasn't a whole lot of fun, and the next few Monday night games are not all that pretty either. So the, they've got a mess on their hands with all these injuries at the quarterback position and just general ugliness of what's upcoming on Monday night football. Last night is something that we probably have to get used to. Yeah, that may be the case for a little while. Hey, Dad, what's up? What's going on, guys? It's a Happy hot Tuesday day here in Starville. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. What is it, Thursday when the weather turns a little bit this week? I think I saw, what, 10, 12 degrees drop in the uh, temperature, and we're going to be upper 80s as opposed to upper 90s? It's the beginning of false fall. Don't be don't be fooled. That's not the start of fall. That is false fall. Do what? False fall. Where you know the temperature comes down a little bit, and you think, okay, it's fall, here we go. And then the week after that, it's all in the 90s again. It's just be warned. Well, yeah, I mean, it's like mid-October before things cool off a little bit, or at least it feels that way a lot of the time. So uh, we'll see. We got that in July. (laughs) Your false fall happened in July, so maybe we get the real thing this go-around. Yeah, currently mid to upper 90s. It was hot at the golf course earlier today, wasn't it, Borky? Yeah, I uh, had to keep or keep ducking into all these uh, fancy little suites they've got scattered around the course just to cool off. I was out there, like, outside for an hour and a half or so today. Yeah. And I had to go home and shower and change uh, to come up to the studio because there's no way I was sitting in my own sweat for another four hours. Yeah, I agree with what Hey Dad said. Don't pretend like 
Friday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday is fall. I mean, when temperatures, the highs are in the mid to upper 80s, and that's pretty much what we're going to have for the uh, for the next couple of weeks. Rippy, what's up? Not a whole lot. Great job yesterday on the Pearl River Resort pick of the day. Thanks. It was never in doubt. Yeah. It's a good thing we didn't have to like tie you down and put the words in your mouth to make you pick the game. I didn't really have any confidence in that, and I think the game was probably indicative of why I didn't, even though it wasn't really in doubt. Never was really all that close. Did you watch the whole thing? Um, Bits and pieces. I mean, I watched most of it, and then I got kind of bored with it, and I had some other stuff to do. Very few clean clothes at my house right now. <laughs> don't do laundry on a very regular basis? No, it, I do. I'm usually pretty good about it. I had... I would say about a week and a half, two week stretch where I was not, so I'd do a bunch of laundry last night. So everything is now clean? Yeah, pretty much. And folded and put away? Yes. That's impressive. I know. I'm not real good about helping with laundry, but the part that I do is like, okay, I can put a load of clothes on and then flip it to the dryer and then pull them out of the dryer and like set them on the dining room table. My follow through from that point forward is not great. You put it on the dining room table? Or, or wherever. Like in the drawers? No, like I will not necessarily fold the clothes. I'll pull them out of the dryer and set them down in a place where they need to be folded, but usually kind of fall down on my responsibilities after that. I got you. Yeah. It's a big night. (laughs) A wild (laughs) night in the big city. Uh, This afternoon, Derek Terry will join us from the Kentucky 24-7 sports site. We'll talk to him late in the 5 o'clock hour. Luke Johnson joins us in the second hour this afternoon. We will take our first look at the Cal Bears and the Kentucky Wildcats, the opponents for Ole Miss and Mississippi State, respectively, and we'll hear from Justin Wilcox, the head coach at Cal. Eli Manning has now officially been benched. We alluded to uh, that being a possibility yesterday. Daniel Jones announced as the starter for the uh, New York Giants. What does that mean for Eli Manning? Will he play again? My my only kind of initial thought on that is, given the rash of injuries to quarterbacks, would you be altogether surprised if he played at some point on Sunday? I mean, you hope that's not the case for a uh, a guy making his very first start in Dan Jones, Daniel Jones in the NFL. But I don't know that the Giants are necessarily just looking to unload Eli Manning right away. People are talking all over the place about the fact that. Oh, they should trade him here or there. Eli Manning still got a no trade clause in his contract, so he kind of gets to dictate whether or not he goes anywhere or not. I think. Yeah, and I, react- go ahead, Borky. I, I just I wouldn't if I were him, and it's who knows what he's thinking. But it just this is a pretty telltale sign that it might be time to consider hanging it up. Because how many teams right now could you conceivably get traded to if you allowed them that? would be in a better situation than the one you have right now. There aren't many teams that are looking for a quarterback that are any good. And so for the last few years in New York, you've dealt with bad offensive lines and bad management and bad coaches. And I mean, where are you going to go if you're him right now? And if you're like, I've seen people jokingly suggest the Saints should go get him for the next six weeks. But what has he shown you over the last couple of years, with all due respect, that says that he'd help you at all? Well, you are talking about a veteran quarterback that would be playing 
behind a better offensive line than he's playing right now and would have better weapons around him. I mean, his career record is 116 and 116, so he is a 500 career quarterback, but is he better than Teddy Bridgewater? Come on. He's been awful for multiple seasons in a row. Still put up good numbers, though. Mm, Good is in the eye of the beholder, I guess. His last competent year was the last playoff year for McAdoo, probably. What was that, 16-17? Something like that? Where they lost at Green Bay in the first round and you had the whole boat trip? The boat trip. Like OBJ and all those dudes went on that boat in Miami the week of a playoff game? Yeah, they went on vacation during the playoffs. Yeah, they had a Monday, obviously, off day in the NFL leading into a playoff game. They all went on a boat. I I guess the point that I'm making in terms of stats is last year he threw for 4,300 yards and 21 touchdowns with 11 picks. The year before that it was 3,500 with 19 and 13. The year before that, 4,000 with 16, 26 and 16. The year before that, 2015, which was the playoff season, I suppose, 4,432 yards, 35 touchdowns, and 14 interceptions. He's going to throw some picks. So far through two games this year, yeah, not great. Averaging about 275 yards a game with two touchdowns and two picks. But again, Throwing to Michael Thomas and Jared Cook and having Alvin Kamara in the backfield, you don't you don't think there's potentially new lease on life there, and could help the Saints over the next few weeks? Yeah, but then you've got to give That's up. That's not something. going to happen. No, it. But it, still, and the people that that are saying that the Saints need to go find a quarterback for the next six weeks, I don't think they realize that they don't have anything that they can give up to get one. They don't have draft picks in the future. I mean, to amass the roster that they've gotten right now, they've given up a lot of future assets in order to do that. They don't really have much to deal, and it is only six weeks. So conceivably, who are you going to get without any trade capital or, or draft capital that you can use in a trade to go get somebody who is out there? Your options are really limited, and most all of the doctors that have talked about this have said that Breeze will be back within about six weeks. So you're really going to deal for somebody to play quarterback for six weeks when you've got Tampa, you've got Chicago who can't score on this schedule. I mean, it's not going to be easy, but I mean, do you really give up something just to have a guy that may or may not fit for the next few weeks? And, and from the Giants' perspective, I don't know that it would make sense anyway because they're not going to get anything in return for Eli Manning. They're basically going to have to give him away. They're not going to get much help from a, a salary standpoint. So, I mean, Eli Manning's making $17 million this year. And if you get rid of him and something happens to Daniel Jones, who's going to play quarterback for you? So you've got to pay him anyway, and you're not really going to get anything in return and he's an unrestricted free agent next year regardless, this is the final year of the contract, then it probably makes sense for him just to stay put and then kind of reevaluate things in the offseason. Kind of feels like this is probably it, though, for Eli Manning. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. We'll get a little bit more into this story when we come back. So Eli Manning's run as the starting quarterback for the New York Giants appears to be over after almost 15 years. Daniel Jones taking over the starting role beginning Sunday on the road against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. 
Head coach Pat Shermer says, Eli and I spoke this morning. I told him that we are making a change and going with Daniel as the starter. I also talked to Daniel. Eli was obviously disappointed, as you would expect, but he said he would be what he has always been, a good teammate, continue to prepare to help his team win games. Daniel understands the challenge at hand, and he will be ready to play on Sunday. Daniel Jones, of course, was the number 6 overall pick in this past year's draft out of Duke. Interestingly enough, both quarterbacks played in college for David Cutcliffe. Shermer went on to say, ultimately, this is a move that I felt was best for this team at this time. I've said it since I got here. I'm very fond of Eli. His work ethic, his preparation, his football intelligence, all those attributes are as good as I have ever seen in a player, and Eli worked as hard as you could ask of anybody to get ready for this season. This move is more about Daniel moving forward than about Eli. But, I mean, isn't it really more about the Giants moving forward? I mean, maybe that maybe that is one and the same, but the Giants right now are a mess. And it's really and they've been a mess for what? 3 or 4 years now. And it's kind of crazy for a franchise that has been a model of consistency and has been one of the most well-run franchise for the better part of 4 or 5 decades to just be kind of the clown show that it is right now. Yeah, it happens to to a lot of teams though. It happens to teams when they, they are successful, and you, you try. It's, it's trying to bridge success with the future, and sometimes you just get caught in the middle like this, and that's where the Giants are. They, they you know, if you're going to rebuild, rebuild. Manning to the bench, bring in Jones. You've got Barkley. Go from there. But if you're going to, you know, continue to tread water with Eli Manning, this, this is what's going to happen right now. Yeah, I don't disagree that it's the right move. I just wonder why, if you're going to make this move in Week Three. You didn't make the move in the off season, maybe because you, you, you just aren't sure. It just, well, I mean, if they had won a the game, the NFL's changed, right? Yeah, but if they had won a game and looked competent in doing so, they'd have probably ridden with him for five, six more weeks until the wheels fell off. But they yeah. lost two games, and they looked very bad doing it. So, I mean, one the of them was to arguably the best team in football. But what was the other one? Yeah. The other was not the best team in football. Yeah, Buffalo at home. I'm not saying that the Cowboys are the best team in football, but they played really, really well for two weeks. You can sure, make the, the argument that they are. But it, I guess my point is, in all likelihood, like the season is basically over for the Giants, but it isn't in a technical sense. So if Jones, like on the 2% chance he blows it out of the water and they tear the NFL up for the next four weeks, they go 4-2, and two, then you kind of got reinvigorated life. Versus if you go 0-4 and, and then you sit him out, it's like, okay, well, this is meaningless. So so you agree with the, the timing of the decision? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I mean, I think I do too. It's just it feels like it's been a cat and mouse game with the Giants and Eli Manning for the last three seasons. Winning two Super Bowls will make it that way. Yeah. yeah. Well, you're right about that. And and maybe that's a good transition point to what is a little bit of a complicated legacy for Eli Manning. And I mean, it it took what all of 45 seconds after the announcement came from the Giants today for the questions of is Eli Manning a Hall of Famer? To arise into the for the debates to begin. I mean, ESPN's got a story with like ten 
pro football people arguing their point as to whether he is or is not a Hall of Famer. If there were ten, I'm going to say that six people were absolutely, there were two I need to wait and see until his career is officially over, and two that said no, he's only mediocre. So, so here are the numbers that go along with the legacy, or whatever, that make the legacy one way or the other. Um, 56,000 and change career passing yards, which puts him in the top ten all time. The playoff I mean, isn't the only reason that this conversation is happening because of his playoff record? But isn't that how we judge almost everybody? I mean, athletes are judged by their high points, right? I mean, he is one of 12 players, quarterbacks, to win multiple Super Bowls. It's a very small list. Six trips to the playoffs. Four-time Pro Bowler, which is four more than Super Bowl champion Joe Flacco. Four-time Pro Bowler but never NFL All-Pro. Six trips to the playoffs. Four one-and-dones. In 2005 and 2006, they went 0-1 in the playoffs. In 2008, they went 0-1 in the playoffs. And in 2016, they went 0-1 in the playoffs. But in 2007, and again in 2011, both times as a wildcard team, they went 4-0 and carried the Lombardi Trophy off, and both times Eli Manning was named Super Bowl MVP. Those numbers are pretty hard to argue there. Four Pro Bowls, um, seventh all-time in career passing yards, 56,537. Eighth all-time in career touchdown passes with 362. Thrown a bunch of interceptions in his career. Two hundred and forty-one, I think, is the uh, is the number. Yeah, so did Brett Favre. I mean, I guess the the, que- <laughs> the, the question point. is, what's the argument against it? If you say that what, he's one, not well, I mean, one sixteen and one sixteen, right? That that he was a five hundred quarterback. Sure. Is that the only argument against it? Because he was on some really bad bad football teams. Drew Brees was on some really bad football teams. That lost a lot of football games. So is that the is that what your hang-up is? Not you, Richard. Anybody listening that disagrees, is, is that your hang-up is just the record? Because there are some years where Drew Brees, his record was awful. Is he not a Hall of Fame quarterback? It's a little bit different, I know, but you, I think the highs are far more important than over the span of a career? Because we tend to forget with athletes what they did at the end. I mean, Michael Jordan played for the Washington Wizards. Let me ask you this. If if Eli Manning retires after the 2016 season, when the Giants narrowly missed the playoffs and went 11-5, and and you erase the last eight wins and the last 25 losses, so he is 108-93, and so he's 15 games above 500 for his career. I don't I'm not sure I did that math exactly right, but I'm close to, close. And he's thrown for 12,000 fewer yards, but he's got a better overall record and he's got two Super Bowl titles and two Super Bowl MVPs. Is he a slam dunk Hall of Famer if he retires 3 years ago? I don't think this conversation's happening today if he retires 3 years ago. And not that it really matters, but for the record, 2016 was the last year they went to the playoffs, I believe. Was it 16 or 15? 
Giants got the wild card in 16. Giants and Lions. Okay. Sorry. So they did make the playoffs in 16. And got murdered. There you go. But... I, but I mean, I guess that somewhat matters. I mean, if you retired after a playoff appearance, and that's not going out on top, but that's going out like far from in disgrace. But I don't know. Complicated legacy. So is he a Hall of Famer? I would like, yeah, but I wouldn't like eviscerate someone who said no either. Hey, Dad. It's hard to get past two Super Bowls. Hey, Dad, Eli Manning, Hall of Fame? Whenever I think about the Hall of Fame, my first, I always say it should be an immediate reaction, yes or no, and it's not immediately yes for me. But I'm sort of like Rippy. If you voted for him in, I wouldn't go go too deep against it. Two Super Bowl MVPs, two wins like that. That's a, that's a big plus on your resume. Yeah, I, I'm immediately yes on this, and and I think the numbers back it up. I mean, are there some numbers that you go, eh? Yeah. There are, but to your point a second ago, two Super Bowl MVPs, top ten in passing yards all time, top ten in touchdowns all time. What do you want a quarterback to do? You want him to throw touchdowns, you want him to win games, and you want him to get to the playoffs. And in 15 years, they go to the playoffs six times and they get two Super Bowls. This is usually where you go when you have a weak argument, but it's also probably worth pointing out at least that he played all that time in New York and didn't really have any hiccups as far as like off the field media that type of stuff. It's hard to be boring in New York and he was. There are some that argue because he was one boring and two always good with the media and always give them what they want he wanted but he was always polite and worked with the media that in some ways the media is kind of using soft gloves with Eli Manning. I wouldn't disagree with that. But you treat people again, right, they'll treat you right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If he had Ryan leafed them, it'd probably be a different story. <laughs> Sports Talk <laughs> Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Hottest ticket in college football this weekend is in Athens, Georgia. Not that that's a big surprise, but that's a big stadium. 91, 92,000 Sanford Stadium. And the get in the door price, the cheapest going ticket on StubHub right now, $309. My guess is that's to sit in the corner of the upper deck a long way from the field. A little surprised at the size of that line, aren't you? Even though I think we all... 13 and a half? Yeah. I think we all here believe that Georgia's better than Notre Dame and will win that game, but still, that's two top 10 teams going at it. It's two touchdown line? I, um... It was a one-point game two years ago in South Bend. Georgia won that game 20-19 to with Jake Fromm as a freshman. And... It was a really cool atmosphere. You remember that's the weekend where all the Georgia fans went up on Thursday night or Friday morning. They all flew into Chicago, and there were like 20,000 Georgia fans at a Cubs game on a Friday afternoon. Yeah, and they were barking at a bunch of innocent baseball fans. It was great, though. (laughs) I mean, the Cardinals have never put that much red in Wrigley Field. If you bark at people in public, don't you have permission to like do whatever you want to them? 
Like, if someone's just going to look at you and make, like, weird noises like that, you have permission to probably call the police or do whatever. I don't think they were, like, randomly barking at people. I think they oh, started doing a, Georgia cheers. and. I saw a guy at the SEC baseball tournament barking at people. Well, there are, there are a few that are like that, but are we going to assume that that was probably not the majority of the Georgia fans that made that trip? I have no idea. I watched, again... People at Arkansas pay homage to a pig. I, I don't know what SEC fans do. It's a fair point. I went back and watched this morning um, some of the videos that came from Notre Dame Stadium and reading some of the reaction from Notre Dame fans. Uh, Notre Dame fans, none too pleased that almost half of the stadium, like like the, the educated guess was it was a 50-50 split in South Bend, Indiana for Notre Dame and Georgia two years ago. you guys remember watching that game and just kind of being like, that's pretty incredible? It, it's surprising, too. Like People talk about how, like Nebraska, for example, when they went to Colorado, you know they, they packed out that stadium and, and took it over. Well, Colorado is not some place with a bunch of football tradition where you have to be on a waiting list for a few decades to get season tickets. Like That's not that impressive to me. Taking over Notre Dame Stadium is a completely different thing. Those are people that have had their season tickets in their family for generations that yeah. gave them up to Georgia fans that weekend. Everybody's got a price. Yes, and the get-in-the-door price to that game, I think, was north of the $300 a ticket that it's going for in Athens this weekend. Yeah, That's um, a stadium with no upper deck, so, I mean, even the worst seat in that stadium is... Going to be probably five times better than the worst seat it is at Sanford Stadium. Yeah, and what does it seat? Notre Dame Stadium seats just north of eighty thousand now after the most recent expansion, which was probably a decade ago. That's right, but I'm not. I'm not one hundred percent sure. Yeah, they covered up touchdown Jesus with a video board. Yeah, uh, Georgia, uh, somewhat similar to what Mississippi State does, where they do the whole get out the phone thing between the third quarter and the fourth quarter. Except Georgia does it with their fight song, and it's the one where they kind of start like bowing at the end, or not bowing, but raising their arms up and down at, at the end of it. And when you watch that video, and they start panning around Notre Dame Stadium, you're like, holy cow, they literally took over the entire stadium. Kind of like what they did in Nashville, just on a larger scale, uh, a couple of weeks ago to uh, to open the season. How badly would you like to go to that game on Saturday night. Doesn't do anything be, for you? It'd be great. I would go, yeah. I wouldn't pay $300. But if you handed me a couple tickets, yeah, well, I would go with you. You ready for yeah. a hot take that you may disagree with? I think I'd rather go to Michigan-Wisconsin this weekend. Uh, for an 11 a.m. kick? I've always wanted to go to Madison. Yeah, but you want to go to Madtown for a night game, don't you? Yeah, that would be ideal. But I think that game might also be a lot better, closer game. For some reason, I feel like Georgia's about to take Notre Dame to the woodshed. I wonder if Big Ten some fans reason, are as mad about 11 a.m. kicks as SEC fans are. It's part of their tradition up there. Yeah, they get those games over with early. Dude, Ohio State didn't have stadium lights until, like, 2012. Yeah. I um, had a good time last night. I, I spoke to the uh, or at the Jackson Touchdown Club. Uh, pretty cool honor to get to go and, and do that. It's one of the long-running touchdown quarterback club uh, groups in, in the entire South. 
and kind of got to the end of it and, and took some questions. And the very first question that was asked, uh, and it was actually by a Mississippi State fan, was what is it going to take for the SEC to get a little intestinal fortitude, paraphrasing here, and tell ESPN we're not playing 11 o'clock games anymore? To say they don't like money? 11 a.m. games rate well. They do. And, and I said, well, the SEC could certainly say that. And ESPN could say, okay, we'll cut the check we're writing you by 40%. Or whatever the number is. Um, I get that a lot of people don't like 11 o'clock games. A lot of people do like 11 o'clock games. <laughs> Dude, I enjoy the heck out of it. I mean, it's, it's a all- neat way. Go ahead. It's just awesome. I, I wake up, I go on a run, I throw something on the grill and put my feet up, and there's football on. 11 a.m. kickoffs are great. And I like that there's better games at 11. I'd, I was telling, I think it was Steven this on, his, on the Sunday show, when there are three games at 7 o'clock at night that are all good, you can't really watch any of them. I'd much rather a spread out, good game at 11, good game at 2.30, good game at 6, good game at 7.30 than three games all at night. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. I just don't very often get to soak yeah, that up anyway. True. So it's like, okay, is there one time? What messes me up is like last week when you have a 3 o'clock game because you don't get to watch the 11 o'clock games. You're at the stadium for a middle of the afternoon game and then you're at halftime of the night games when you get home. Um, so, so I guess I kind of prefer either... Give me the early start or give me the late start, but I'm looking at it from an entirely different perspective than a lot of people are. I certainly understand that. How much does 11 a.m. affect the crowd size in Oxford this weekend? Pac-12 opponent, you know, you Some. got two wins. How much? Ah, a few thousand. I mean, my, I'm just guessing here. They announced 47,000 and change for the season opener against Arkansas, and I think that was probably pretty close to accurate. Uh, they announced 45,000 and change last week for southeastern Louisiana, and that was off by about 20,000 in terms of actual people in the stands. My guess is that the actual attendance on Saturday is somewhere between forty-five and 48,000. And if it were a six o'clock kickoff, my it probably would be between forty-eight and fifty-two. Now, why is that though? Because I guess I'm looking at it purely from my perspective. So this is a singular opinion. But most people that go to games at Ole Miss and Mississippi State, for that matter, do not live in Oxford and Starkville. You have to travel some. And our biggest population center in this state is the Jackson Metro area. So pretend you live in Madison. Wouldn't you rather have a game earlier in the day than get home at 3 a.m. or 2 a.m.? I would. I would much rather wake up at 6 a.m., get into town, tailgate a little bit, even though it's early in the morning, go to a game until 3 o'clock and get home by 6 instead of getting up there for a game that starts at 6 and getting home at 2 a.m. And most of these people bring their, their wives and their kids, and that just seems like a miserable day for a night kickoff. So why does the 11 a.m. affect attendance so much? Is it just purely like soccer games and stuff like that? 
No, I mean, I think you're talking about what you like, but I think the majority of people would prefer not to have to get up at 5 and get on the road at 6 and drive two and a half hours and tailgate for an hour and then haul over to the stadium. You're in the hot part of the day. You're in the sun most of the most of the entire game for an 11 o'clock kickoff. And then afterward, if you win, maybe you want to hang around and tailgate for a while longer, or maybe you just want to jump in the car. If it's hot, you're exhausted, and if you lose, you're miserable for the rest of the day. Whereas when it's a night game, you can kind of take your time getting there. You can go out for wherever your tailgate spot is by middle of the day, hang out for a few hours, watch football from your tailgating spot, go to the game. It's not as hot. And the atmosphere is just better at night. And people say, oh, well, people have longer to drink and party. Maybe that's part of it. But part of it is people just, you've been awake all day. and You've had the entire day to build up to it as well. Cody in Tupelo on the C Spire text line says, only people that like 11 a.m. games are the people who cover the games, work at the games, and the coaches. Everyone else hates them. It devalues the fan experience. More of your text messages on the C Spire text line when we come back in the Renaissance Bank studio. 601-879-4395. That's the number for the C Spire text line. Game times are a bit of a lightning rod, especially this week. On the heels of Mississippi State playing an 11 o'clock home game against Kansas State, and on the eve-ish of Ole Miss playing an 11 a.m. home game against Cal. Here's one. 11 a.m. really messes up enjoying tents in the Grove, expensive to set up for maybe two hours and still have to get up at dawn to prepare and get there by 8 to have time to enjoy. Many just don't set up for 11 a.m. games, also affecting crowd for players coming into the stadium, or through the Grove, I suppose. Here's John in Oxford, who's a state fan. My wife and I are both 33. We have a 14-month-old. We sat through the 11 a.m. state game last weekend. The baby didn't go because we knew it would be hot. We cooked in the sun. My wife looked at me in the fourth quarter, and it had nothing to do with the score, and said she's not coming back to an early day game and definitely not bringing the baby until we upgrade our tickets to the club level. I agreed. We're upgrading next year. John, I'm sure Mississippi State thanks you for that. Uh, Aaron and Meridian, the only good 11 o'clock games to attend, are in late October and November. Uh, Cody points out about the Big Ten games, it's not 100 degrees until October in the Big Ten. They just don't work in the South. Michael in Poplarville says Ole Miss should play LSU at 11 a.m. when the game's in Oxford. (laughs) Could get your wish. Uh, That's possible, yeah, absolutely. Going back to the um, the Eli Manning conversation, here are a number of text messages from you. Bob Greasy, Fran Tarkenton, Hall of Famers, yes. Eli Manning should be also. That's from Bob and Pontotoc. Uh, somebody points out that one of the Super Bowl wins was against one of the best teams ever assembled, the 18-0 New England Patriots. He won a Super Bowl with Victor Cruz as his number one receiver. That's Hall of Fame right there. (laughs) Asking about the other quarterbacks in the top ten for passing yards and touchdowns, are they in the Hall of Fame? Some are, some are uh, about to be, and some are still playing. Let's pull up that list. This from Jimmy in Hattiesburg. Joe Namath was a sub-500 quarterback, but pulled off the greatest upset in Super Bowl history. Eli is in. Stan and Ripley is a state fan. Yes, he's in. Richard and Wiggins points out that the 
Giants screwed him out of five years of his career, and he beat Brady. Mm, a couple of others. Dan and Charleston, hard to imagine the NFL without a Manning playing quarterback. It's been that way since 1998? Is that right? Yeah. <clears throat> yes. Was Peyton a rookie in 98 or 99? He would have been a rookie in... 98, because that's 98. when he won the national title. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Just tuned in. If y'all are debating Eli for Hall of Fame, he should be a first ballot guy, and I'm a diehard state fan. Uh, Steven says Eli's dad was on some very bad teams, but he's known as a great quarterback. Eli is elite. That's coming from a state fan. Paul in North Mississippi, the only doubt about Eli Manning being a first ballot Hall of Famer is his passer rating. If you look it up on the NFL stats, he's somewhere in the middle of the pack for his career. Yeah. I mean, and Brett Favre, again, leads in interceptions. Agreed. There aren't very many perfect quarterbacks or guys at any position out there. There's a flaw in almost every Hall of Fame resume, if you look hard enough, for most of the guys in there. Favorite text of the day has nothing to do with Eli Manning. Has nothing to do with 11 a.m. kick times. So the very beginning of the show, we were talking about doing laundry. Laundry timeline. Wash, 45 minutes. Dry, 60 minutes. Put away, 7 to 10 business days. <laughs> I like that. That's accurate. That so, so so you fall into that category also, hey, Dad? Oh, my laundry right now is stacked on top of our dryer, and eventually it will get to a point where it starts to lean a little bit, and that's when the wife will be like, really, take it to the back. And that's when I'll do it. Are you good about actually folding clothes and putting them away? No, my wife my wife folds them, and then I put them away. That's that's our arrangement. There you go. Don't you have kids? Isn't that what they're for? They they will occasionally they will load the, the laundry and, and the, that kind of stuff. So... Borky, that's not something that is like uh, available. It's not right off out of the womb. Yeah, you got to no, train that behavior into them. I don't think so. Um, but no, we're uh, we're put it away immediately, people. Of course you are. What is that supposed to mean, Mister? Uh, no papers out of order on my desk. Have no you seen my clutter. office? My my desk is all over the place, man. There you go. I understand. Some days it is. Most days it's not too bad. I try. I try to be in order and organized and stuff, but I, I lose sight of that every so often. Got a bunch coming up with you, Luke Johnson. He is going to join us in the 4 o'clock hour. We will begin to look at Mississippi State's game coming up against Kentucky. Ole Miss's game coming up against Cal. And a little bit of Mike Leach coming up later this afternoon. He was asked, who among the Pac-12 mascots would win in a battle royale? That's right in your wheelhouse, hey, Dad. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Four o'clock hour with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Good to be with you. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad. Rippy has stepped away for a few minutes to go for part of what is open for Ole Miss practice and will come back and join us in just a little while. Sports Talk is brought to you by Mississippi Land Bank online at mslandbank.com. 
Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing or refinancing needs of any kind, and you're in North Mississippi, Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've been financing and refinancing land for over 100 years. Check out the website, mslandbank.com. Find a branch location near you, or grab the phone number and give them a call. I want to hear from Mike Leach. I know we got a bunch of other stuff to get to, but... Uh, yeah, none of it's may- better than this, though. Yeah, you may have already seen that link when I sent it to you earlier today. I had not. I was on the golf course, so I appreciated that. Oh, poor guy. Tough life. Oh, um, I was on the golf course golf working. I wasn't playing golf. I was out there I, doing I, uh, business stuff. So you Mike say. Leach, uh, apparently this has gotten to the point where one of the reporters or via Twitter or something, fans are allowed to submit questions. And Mike Leach is open to this. So it's not just reporters who are baiting him all the time. But Mike Leach was asked if you took all the mascots in the Pac-12 and pitted them in a battle royale, who would win? But before you play it, hold on, hold on, just a second. Let's think about what the mascots are in the Pac-12 before you play it. So at Washington State, you have a cougar. At Washington, you have a husky. Southern Cal, you have a Sun Devil with a pitchfork, Sparky. Arizona State, but yeah. Did I say Southern Cal? I was you thinking did. Arizona State when I said that. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, that's at Arizona State. Arizona's a wildcat. Oregon's a duck, so that's probably going to the back of the line. I don't think a beaver's all that um, feisty and this whole deal. Stanford has a tree. UCLA's got a bear. So does Cal. Southern Cal with a Trojan. Cal has a bear as well. Who am I missing? Utah. And a Ute is a American Indian tribe. Colorado. Ralphie's a bad dude. And he's a lot smaller than they get. Yeah, they've kind of got baby Ralphie, don't they? Uh huh. Hey, Dad, who would be your leader in the clubhouse? Now, before we even hear what Mike Leach has to say. I feel like you need to go with one of the Bears. So I'm going to go the, the the UCLA Bruin would be my choice. Although That's a the devil, first thing they would, want in a while, would have won in a while. Yes. A devil would be, you know, is he a, like a real devil? Does he have supernatural powers? Could he just rain fire on everyone? That might be the way to go. Yeah. And he's got that 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 the the three pronged spear. What's that called? He's a trident. A trident. <laughs> Sparky like got a trident. He killed a guy. All I know is Ralphie's a bad dude. But you could take him down with dist from distance with a with a good throw of the trident. He might be so strong it just bounces off of him. Let's hear what Mike Leach had to say. Battle Royale of the Pac twelve mascots. Hmm, that's a good question. Well, first of all, what kind of mythical powers does a sun devil have? We've got to consider that. I'm going to say the wildcat's out. Uh, the Trojan, is he? does he have a horse or is he on foot? Does he have a bow and arrow or just his sword? Uh, the Bruin, definitely formidable. Um, uh, the 
another bear up there at Cal. Uh, the tree, I imagine that tree's going to get chopped down. Um, the uh, uh, Unless we're going to go with the bird and somebody might get pecked or something. I don't know. And then... Um, the duck, the duck might lose interest and just fly away and get out of there, which may be good advice under the circumstances. Uh, the husky, no chance. Uh, the beaver, well, we'll see how long that beaver can hold his breath. Um, the uh, the ute again. We're back to uh, is he on horseback? Does he have a bow and arrow? Did he trade for a rifle? I mean, you know, because if that youth's got a rifle, there's some definite problems. And then, um, and, uh, and you know, you'd have to get one of those Harry Potter activists to read up on how you kill a sun devil because there's a lot of uh, outside stuff there. Um, just as far as a beast alone, uh, a buffalo's going to be pretty hard to tangle with. I mean, a, bu- a buffalo's utterly outstanding. Uh, did I leave any of them out? Uh, well, but Butch, Butch is going to have to be clear-minded and crafty. I mean, Butch will, Butch will find a way. There's no question. The Cougar will find a way. Uh, clear-minded and crafty, a combination of stay out of harm's way and and uh, <clears throat> and attack when you get your uh, your chances or your openings. The one mascot that he forgot was and his I had own. The exact same. <laughs> Somebody goes, did I forget one? Uh, the Coog. Oh yeah, Butch. Butch has got to be clear-minded and crafty. Uh, he always delivers. Had the same thought. Does the devil have powers? Is <laughs> What did he say? We're going to have to get one of those Harry Potter activists to figure out how to take down the devil? I think I heard him leaning toward um, Ralphie. Yeah, yeah. See, though, a bear can get on top of a buffalo, I think. A buffalo has no fangs, you know? Bear takes buffalo. Yeah, I agree. What about in the SEC? Hey, Dad, I lost you. I, I lost Hey, Dad, for a second. All right, so are we, are we going with the actual mascot of the SEC? Because if that's the case, Big Al. I mean, who's killing an elephant? Even the well, tigers. If you get him in water, all of a sudden uh, a shark might be kind of good. Oh, it's a land shark. No, so I don't know. no. You, you, hey, first of all, yeah, he's a land shark. Well, Secondly, let's go with the no. literal ones because Tennessee, of like the the volunteers where the name came from, is much better than a, a cool dog. Same with the rebels. Those are two. They're going to have firearms. Yeah. Muskets. Yeah. Takes five minutes to load. Say so it, it all depends you better, on you better your kill those tigers with the first powder. shot. Exactly. You kill those tigers with the first shot and then you got a you got a chance. The gator mm. moves too slow. The bulldogs are out. Aggie what it, is an it, Aggie? And it's, it's just like a student an Aggie's just a regular student who takes agricultural courses. They're done. Yeah, so you've got to go with the collie, which come on. Yeah. You got three tigers to deal with, man. That's that's now. Be maybe tough. if Lassie's running off to get help, then <laughs> they need to get a lot of help. Would you take LSU's tiger, Auburn's tiger, or Missouri's tiger? I think Mike's the only one that is alive, right? I'm going, yeah, because they have the eagle at, at Auburn. The eagle's going to well, win because yeah. nobody can get up. See, that's the the, the the rule on the volunteer, and I guess the, the 
hold on, we may have, may have really underthought this. The Commodore can just call in the Navy and just bombard the place with 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 cannon fire. But what if the battle's fought on land, like inland? Well, then, well he's probably got a sword at that point. So the, the volunteer and the rebel are going. One of them's going to shoot down the Eagle of Auburn, and you go from there. Got to got to get those tigers though. That's 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 the key. Hmm. I'm Team Tiger because one musket shot's not taking him down. Uh, an elephant is going to beat a tiger. It will flip it up. Man, I don't know about that. Uh, an if angry an elephant, elephant, three tons of of carnage. Yeah, I understand that, but I mean. If it's quick strike tiger deal and he's able to kind of get under the trunk and like go into the throat of the elephant underneath gonna, the trunk, gonna have to be really, really quick. Well, he's pretty fast. Tigers I'm sure are. I'm sure they are. I'm just saying. Although Mike has kind of a life of leisure down in Baton Rouge. You know that he does lead a life of leisure, but I'm pretty sure that if they let him out of that cage, he'd kill something. So you know. According to Google and YouTube, um, you don't mess with elephants if you're a big cat. Like, elephants kill them all the time. Yes, it's the elephant. It's Alabama. Imagine that. Alabama's still top of the charts. Uh, my, my friend asked, what if the three tigers team up to take down the elephant? Got to be close. Bit of an, uh, uh, an attack. He's swinging uh, those tusks. You're in trouble. Here you go. Here are the responses. Greg Sankey will win. He will sit in an air-conditioned room and sell the rights to watch the fight for $80 billion. <laughs> <laughs> Philip and Starkville uh, says the door has cannons. Jeff says, what about the Florida Gator question? I think you undersold the Gator if the uh, the fighting conditions are right. A tiger a and an area? elephant. A tiger and an elephant will kill an alligator. Destroy it. If, if a tiger goes lurking around in a swampy area and doesn't see that gator? Oh, a big oh, no. cat will see a gator. He'll see Somebody's him. pointing out that a wild boar is nothing to play with. That's true, but not against a tiger. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Brian Haydad, Michael Borky. Rippy will rejoin us in just a little while. Let's talk some Kentucky Wildcats, Mississippi State's opponent for this coming Saturday. We've got a guy that covers Kentucky that's going to join us a little bit later this afternoon, Derek Terry, in the 5 o'clock hour. But some uh, some jumping off points to kind of start this discussion, Haydad. Joe Moorhead said that Keaton Thompson was available for the Southern Miss game, but this past week he was banged up. So what's going on with Keaton Thompson from a health standpoint? Um, What about Jalen Maiden? Where does he fit into this? Do you anticipate Tommy Stevens playing this week? Can you answer any of these questions with no injury information? <laughs> I can try. Uh, Would you I speculate do, I, for me, please? Yeah, sure. Edu- uh, I think, educated I think Stevens will play. I think Stevens will play this week. Like we said on yesterday's show, Morat told us that he felt Stevens felt better this Monday than he did last Monday, and he played last weekend. Um, so I, I expect, <clears throat> excuse me, I expect him to play uh, with Keith. And we lost him. 
Miss game. Yeah, Keaton was available. Hold on, back up a second. We lost you for a second. Say, with Keaton Thompson is where I lost you. Uh, they, after the Southern Miss game, Moorhead, yeah, he said that he was available for that game. But then we talked to him yesterday, and he talked about he's still battling uh, an injury. So sort of some mixed signals When there. did the injury uh, occur? During fall camp. Is what we were so talking. was he available, or was he battling an injury? Yes. I, that's, I don't know. I, I don't know. Like I said, there's some mixed signals there. Uh, and then as far as Maiden goes, he was dressed out this past week. And this has been a question that's popped up a lot on Twitter and on, on some different social media and message boards. If a player's dressed out, they're not suspended. If you're suspended, you're not, you're not going to dress out for this game. He did not dress out in Louisiana or Southern Mississippi. So... Not not entirely sure. I mean, maybe it was another sort of a Lee Autry kind of situation. They felt like they needed to have him dressed out for what reason? I don't know. But long story short, I, I don't know about Maiden. I, I I think Maiden is the absolute emergency quarterback at this point. But if he's, you know, I have to, I, I want to. It's sort of like with Lee Autry. I want to see if he's dressed out on Saturday. If he is, well, then I, I'll assume he's not suspended any further. But if he's not, then I'm not sure why he dressed out against Kansas State. Hmm. A lot of mixed signals. A lot of mixed signals right now out of uh, out of Starkville. But based on the, the limited action you've seen from Thompson, even though it was a year ago, and Schrader, isn't Schrader, even if Thompson's healthy, the better option anyway? So, I mean, even though it's unclear, um, sketchy almost, the way it's described that Thompson's not playing, based on what you've seen, isn't isn't the other guy the better option anyway? Well, I not a hundred percent sure that I believe that yet. I certainly believe that Garrett Schrader is the future at uh, at Mississippi State, and he showed um, courage and hard runner, and you know made some plays with his feet. Ten carries for eighty-two yards. Big, strong, physical. Looks like he's got a big arm. But he was 4 of 12, and that's not a good number, and didn't have a completion in the fourth quarter. So do I automatically go with, well, that's a better option than Keaton Thompson right now? I don't necessarily get on board with that. Fair enough. I think that... Hey, we gotta get we gotta get Hey Dad's deal fixed. We'll we'll work on that and try and come back to it in, in just a minute. Um so I guess our other questions are kind of about how critical this game is. Just kind of talking to some different people and reading some different things. I've seen a lot of people call the game against Kentucky a must win game. I think sometimes we get a little liberal with our use of the phrase must win because you know must win you lose and your season's over. I mean you're playing in the NCAA tournament in a first round game, it's a must win game. Because if you don't win it, then your season ends. You're in a championship game of a regional or an elimination game in a super regional, those are must win games. So I'm not being trite when I say that, or I'm not trying to be. 
it certainly is an important game. And the level of importance largely is because of the need to not have an empty football stadium. Mississippi State fans are frustrated right now. And there are a couple of things that I was thinking about. And this is not specific to Mississippi State. We undersell, and I guess I'll say we're guilty of having undersold this past offseason the impact of losing three first-round draft picks to the NFL on one side of the ball. Unless you are Alabama or Georgia, maybe LSU, Clemson, maybe Ohio State. You cannot lose three first-round NFL players off of a team and expect that side of the ball, whichever side of the ball it is, to be as good as it was the year before. Duh. We didn't tell you that. But it's more than just they can't be as good as they did before. You're going to likely take a significant step back. All right, so let's pull away from Mississippi State and think about some other examples. Well, let's keep it local-ish. Remember when Robert Kimdichie was on the defensive line for Ole Miss? He never put up great numbers. But he was the focus of opposing team scouting reports when they were putting together game plans. And even as the focus, because he drew so much attention, it made things easier for other players on that defense. So, yeah, however you feel about Robert Kimdichie, at this point, whatever, set that aside. He was so talented that other teams focused on him. And there were a couple of glimpses where you look and you go, that guy is the best player on the field. When he's gone, that defense looks different. Because now you don't have one guy that you're focusing on at that high of a level. If you were one of the people that believed that Ole Miss's offense was going to not miss a beat with Rich Rodriguez coming in after Ole Miss lost a starting quarterback and three wide receivers to the NFL, you're crazy. You, But probably you go, eh, they're not going to be as good, but they're going to... No, you're going to take a step back. Doesn't even account for a tight end. So that's number one. The, the player piece moving on when you're talking about NFL-caliber players is undervalued. That's number one. Number two. When you have the best or one of the best coaches in your school's history. There's no one of in in that case in particular. Okay. Dan Mullen. It got stale. It got old. The act wore thin. He wasn't able to take necessarily the next step. He was always rumored to be flirting with other schools and going to other places, and that got old. He's the best coach in school history. 
And if you want to argue otherwise, you can. If he wasn't the best, he's probably the second best coach in school history. But I think most would say, from terms of success, best coach in school history. He moves on. You're probably not going to follow it up immediately with the best coach in school history. All right, let's tie it to Ole Miss just for a second. Just kind of going back and forth here. If you want Mike Bianco gone, there are a lot of people that did. Do, did, I don't know. What the heck are you going next? Not even an argument as to whether or not he's the best coach in school history. What happens when you have to go to his replacement? That's why that's an argument that I don't think makes sense. And you use phrases like, well, you better be careful what you wish for. I get all the arguments that go with it. Top five program in terms of commitment and all that good stuff and only one trip to the con. I understand. But when you lose the best you've ever had, whether you push him out or he leaves on his own, Dan Mullen, the conversation about Mike Bianco it's probably not going to be as good with the next guy. That's part of why this Saturday is so important. Back to Sports Talk Mississippi. Are you ready? On the Super Talk app, supertalk.fm, and always on your local Super Talk Mississippi station. All guests on Sports Talk Mississippi appear on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Wasn't the home team, it was the road team that got it done in Troy, Alabama on Saturday night. That road team was Southern Mississippi. Big game for Jack Abraham throwing the football. Big game for Jalen Adams catching the football and returning kicks. And a big game in the return for Quez Watson. Uh, I'm sorry, Quez Watkins, as uh, Southern Miss got the win, 47-42. A game that featured three touchdowns in the span of 36 seconds. What a wild one, Luke! On Saturday night, Luke Johnson from the Eagle Hour on Super Talk Hattiesburg and Super Talk Laurel. What's up, man? Hey guys, yeah, it was a, it was a wild. Uh fourth quarter, you know, going into the third quarter. Eagles uh, take a 26-21 lead going into the third. And, hey, we got a good football game. And then all of a sudden, uh, there's 42 points in the fourth quarter. I mean, it was it was wild. Uh, but the real the real thing in this game, I told you Friday, Eagles had to start quick. And they did. Hill uh, Troy to a three and out, got the ball, and went down. Uh, I think it was a, about a 93-yard drive. And, and uh, another defensive stop at Southern Miss. Kind of did what happened in reverse against Mississippi State. They jumped out to a 14-0 lead. And, and uh, defense uh, stopped the run game, but Troy lit the passing defense up, and that's really the, the concern. So as much as Jack Abraham threw it in this game, uh, the passing defense gave up just the same amount from Barker. So that's something the Eagles have to correct when they look towards conference play. Just from a, like sitting back and watching a game, I know you can't strip your loyalties away, but if you just wanted to sit back and watch a fun football game, it seems like that was it. We went through the scoring summary yesterday, and I mean, Southern Miss ahead, 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 and then they fall back, and then they retake the lead, and it's tight, just back and forth all the way. It was. It had everything that you want in a football game. It had defense in the first half, had some special teams, 
and uh, and then it just got fun in the in the, the fourth quarter. Eagles actually, uh, you know, had a pick six um, that was that was called back because of a penalty. So yeah, it had everything you wanted. Um, Jalen Adams uh, in in three games he has uh, three returns for touchdowns. Uh, that, that's what you wanted. And then Jack Abraham, you you really saw what what he did. I don't know if you guys noticed or, or mentioned this yesterday, but he went seventeen of seventeen on his first seventeen passes. Did he really? Today. I did not realize that. Yeah. But I think his, uh, his first incompletion was actually a throwaway. So Abraham was just money. Quez Watkins, Eagles, uh, Eagle fans really saw, and, and anybody else watching Southern Miss sees how much of a difference maker he is. And so now with Jordan Mitchell being a great possession receiver, Quez Watkins being your home run threat, and Jalen Adams being explosive, Eagles have now throw Tim Jones in there, four legit wide receivers that they can line up on any down. Does that change the offense, you think? Well, I mean, it, it kind of has to. They they did, they rushed for 112 yards. Abraham was the third highest rusher on the day. Uh, the highest rusher was uh, DeMichael Harris, who's now permanently been moved to, to running back. So, yeah, I mean, I think he had a 31 yards, Harris did, and Abraham had 26. So it, it's just a it, it's a funny offensive line. They give good pass protection. Uh, it's just the the running game's been been struggling. But I mean, if you can throw for five hundred on somebody, I mean, throw for five hundred on somebody. Work for Mike Leach. Yeah, just go uh, go get it however you can. We we talked Luke about the importance of this game, and it feels like eight is kind of the number that that we've circled and that we've talked about, and that's the number that you've thrown out there that would make Southern Miss fans kind of feel good about this season that becomes very much in play after getting this win right yeah the the, the best case scenario was a three and one and you know um obviously mississippi state took care of that but two and two was satisfactory two and two made you feel pretty good about your football team because and that was Troy, most likely you know, right oh absolutely yeah i mean you know it's it's a pipe dream uh, to, to win in uh, in Starkville, and it's just over the moon if you compete for three quarters in, in Tuscaloosa. You know, if you compete for a quarter and a half in Tuscaloosa, you feel good about yourself. So yeah, two and two is the best case scenario, uh, and it just meant a lot because Troy is is a a, a really good group of five teams, and uh, you felt like you know when they have two weeks to prepare for you and didn't show you anything in camp against Campbell and opening week one, you to get out of there uh, with a win really makes you feel good. Um, we won't spend a ton of time talking about the the game against Alabama. Uh, I mean, you know, whether it's Southern Miss playing them or Ole Miss playing them or Mississippi State playing them, it it just feels like the outcome is a foregone conclusion. But you still go and play the game, and you see what happens, and hope that you you happen to catch a day where they turn it over a bunch, and you play out of your mind. But beyond this game against Alabama, then you roll into conference play. Eight games remaining. Let's just assume it's two and two after these four games. Southern Miss has got a chance to win every single one of those eight games, right? They do. Um, they do. Uh, you, you get two weeks to prepare for North Texas, and North Texas, uh, as explosive as a player as Mason Fine is, they really have underwhelmed. Uh, SMU yeah. handled them pretty good. I thought they might have a chance out at Cal. Didn't happen. So they're, they're underperforming. Um, same way with Louisiana Tech and, and Southern Miss, you know, has always had Louisiana Tech's number. 
uh, the last several years, and you don't want to just assume that again. But if you if you get by Louisiana Tech and North Texas, you win those two. It can get really fun down the stretch. Uh, you got a late date with with the Fighting Kiffins down in, in Boca Raton, but uh, apart from that, you know, if you UAB seems to be down a little bit, uh, I mean, the right things happen. You you could be looking at a nine win season very easily. Um, if you had to put a circle around the most difficult or the two most difficult Conference USA opponents, who would the two most difficult be? On their schedule, it's that it's that back to back against North Texas and uh, and Louisiana Tech. That. I mean, yeah, I mean UAB's down, uh, but I mean even when I played, man, UAB and Southern Miss, UAB just finds ways to keep it close, and you know they've, they've had us the last few years. Bill Clark's done a great job, so it's mm-hmm. going to be uh, really the, the middle of October. If you get through that, you, you got a chance to make it a special season. Three NFL Network games on the horizon. So this weekend, it's ESPN2. The game against UTEP and North Texas, ESPN Plus, and then Facebook. And then you go through a stretch where it's NFL Network against Louisiana Tech. The race game is an ESPN Plus game. NFL Network for UAB. And that one is one that really should be big crowd, people excited about it, fill it up, huge game, right? It should. And, and see, the Troy game, what it, what it did was, if we'd have lost to Troy in, in, a, in a week, because you're going to get beat this weekend, there would have been nobody at, at the Rock. What this Troy game does, it just allows you to build that momentum. You only got five home games this year, so it, it builds that. Um, you basically assure yourself of a decent crowd at the end of September, and then with that result, it, it's going to build more. So, yeah, the Rock should be rocking late in the season if, if everything works out. Um not to take over, but I was going to mention this to y'all because I figured you would like it. Well, playing Alabama, regardless of the, uh, the the outcome, there's about 1.5 million reasons why you play this game. But it also oh, yeah. allowed me and Bob to have Eli Gold on the Eagle Hour today. And, guys, that was fun. Had him for two segments. And he just talked about how when Gene Stallings was there, uh, when Mike Shula was there, uh, you know, he was able to, to just sit down and shoot the breeze. He said he's not really able to do that for the last 13 years. But no. it was great to be able to talk to Eli Gold today. He is, uh, he's quite a character, isn't he? And, he? and he said this, too. We asked him, Bob asked him what was his favorite you know, sport to call. He's from Brooklyn. Uh, ice hockey is his favorite. Really? When's the last time Southern Miss beat Alabama? 2000. That's when they were preseason ranked number three, lost to UCLA beat Vandy, and then uh, we went over there, and uh, it was actually in Legion Field. Beat them 21 to nothing. 21 to nothing. Jeff Bauer was still the head coach at Southern Miss. Mike DeBose was on the sidelines for Alabama. I guess prior to that, it was 1993, a 40 to nothing win. Wow. Do you remember that game? Vaguely, yes. The, the one that I remember is 1990 when Jim Taylor kicked a 52-yard field goal. That's when Favre came back after having three inches or yeah, three feet of his intestine removed. Started against Bama, stumped, kicked a 52-yard field goal to beat him, and then you went on to beat Auburn and, and uh, later on that year too. 27 to 24 game was in Birmingham. Gene Stallings on the sidelines for Alabama with Curly Hallman as the head coach at Southern Miss. Is that right? It was, yeah.
it was actually Gene Stallings' home debut. He was the first Alabama coach to lose his home debut since Bear Bryant did it. I'm sure they were ready to fire him after that. <laughs> it got a little better. It got a little better a couple of years later for Alabama under Gene Stallings. All right, Luke, we will uh, talk to you later in the week, man. Thanks so much. Hi, guys. Have a great day. Luke Johnson, co-host of the Eagle Hour. If you want to hear that conversation that he and Bob had with Alabama radio play-by-play man Eli Gold, you can download the podcast of the Eagle Hour or go online to supertalk.fm and listen on demand. That was Luke Johnson on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Southern Miss, six wins all-time against Alabama. Back-to-back years in 1953 and 54, 1982, 90, 93 in the year 2000. Got some uh, Justin Wilcox audio for you. He is the head coach at Cal. Bring that to you in the uh, college football fix coming in uh, just a few minutes. How about this story, though, from, uh, from College Game Day? Borky, you know the uh, the signs are a huge part of college game day. And there was a sign on Saturday in Ames, Iowa. It was clearly in the uh, camera shot behind the um, behind the stage. It was a 24-year-old Iowa State grad named Carson King who made a sign with his Venmo account name on it and it asked for people to send money because he was out of Bush Light. Needed beer money for Bush Light. According to an NBC affiliate in Iowa, WHO-TV, King's joke took off. He says... I looked down at my phone, and my friend kept asking me, Hey, man, who keeps texting you? And I looked down, and I had about $400 on my Venmo account. I had people from Texas, Idaho, California, Massachusetts, all over. A lot of Clemson people donated. I guess they like Bush Light, too. His Venmo account balance continued to grow from $600 to 1000 And at that point, Carson King decided to turn this into a feel-good story. He called his parents after putting aside enough money for one case of bush light, typically less than $20, and decided to donate the remaining funds to the University of Iowa Children's Hospital. This is an Iowa State grad, but he said this, Their hospital does great things for the state of Iowa, both for Iowa State and the University of Iowa The wave is a huge thing now. Those kids are fighters, and they deserve any chance they can get. Nearly $6,000 has come into the Venmo account of Carson King, and he's donating all that money, less enough to buy one case of Bush Light to uh, Iowa Children's. How cool is that? That's awesome. And uh, I've been trying to do the same thing for weeks about my upcoming baby, but uh, no Venmo transactions just yet. Well, maybe you need to go to game day Saturday. I need to go maybe to game day. Maybe you should pack up and go to Athens 
and put a sign, uh, you know, get an ideal spot that has your Venmo name on it and says, having first baby in four weeks, need diaper money, go dogs. Honestly, that'd probably get a few thousand bucks too if I did it. I would think so. I would think so. Said the donations range from $0.25 to $300. Said people are still donating to his account and sharing the post and all that fun stuff. That's one of those things that just kind of catches, and it goes from a joke to, oh, wow, this kid's donating all the money to Iowa Children's. Let's keep donating. That's pretty cool. That's awesome. And congrats on the beer. Bush Light, huh? Yeah, I guess, you know... You get what you ask for. They used to have great commercials. Like always, the uh, the group around the uh, campfire, maybe that was for regular Bush. They were like in the mountains, splashing around, campfire, dudes and gals hanging out. It was the uh, head for the mountains of Bush beer. You remember those? I think so. Know. Where they crack open you the... Don't. I don't know. I remember the Budweiser ones, though, with the frogs. Yeah. The was up? Well, that and then the bud. Oh, yeah. Why? Sir. Sure. There's some marketing people that have earned their salaries with beer commercials through the years. Yeah, they've blown uh, it now. I mean, the Super Bowl used to be awesome, and now, I mean, nothing's funny anymore. And now it's all just Clydesdales and dogs and veterans. Yeah, and who's woke? Who's woke? Yeah, the... Certain companies that make social justice statements with their $10 million 30-second commercial. Beer companies aren't doing that, are they? No, but just a blanket statement on what the Super Bowl has become. Yeah. Like, the last Super Bowl commercial that stands out to me is the one from three, four, five years ago when they had the old Paul Harvey voiceover on the Dodge Ram commercial. Yeah. Or the Ram Trucks commercial. It's the last one that stands out to me. I mean, I know... Coke's had some polar bears running around, and Budweiser's had some Clydesdales running around, and there was a Star Wars character. I couldn't tell you what they were advertising to save my life, though. Um, Sports Talk Mississippi. Pearl River Resort pick of the day coming up. College football fix coming up a little bit later. Derek Terry from Kentucky 24-7 site will join us as well. All that in the 5 o'clock hour with you. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Just after 5 o'clock, Tuesday afternoon. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey is back, but Hey Dad was having some connection issues, so he is... Out. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing or refinancing needs of any kind, Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've been financing and refinancing land for just over 100 years. If you're a farmer in North Mississippi, equipment needs time to buy a new piece of property. Maybe you... um, Need to refinance an existing loan or get a production loan? 
That is right in the wheelhouse of Mississippi Land Bank. Uh, again, it's been over a century that they've been financing land. Check out the website, mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Time right now for the College Football Fix. College Football Fix, driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com and find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. You can test drive one. It's going to make you want to take one home. If you've not been behind the wheel of an F-150 in a while you got no idea what you're missing out on. Fantastic vehicle. I uh, I drive one, have for years now, and uh, big fan. Look forward to the uh, next one. I'm not sure exactly when it's going to be, but maybe before too much longer? My wife's out of town, Borky, so she didn't hear me say that. Yeah, maybe she can just come home to it. Well, she's going to be home tonight. Surprise! <laughs> so, I don't know that I've got time to pull it off by, uh, by then, but yeah, there we go. Um, BuyFordNow.com, best-selling trucks, built Ford Tough. All right, lines for games involving SEC teams. First peak, some gut reactions, a few top 25 games. Southern Miss at Alabama, 38-and-a-half. Southern Miss coming off a game where they put 47 on the board, but that was against Troy's defense, not against Alabama's defense. How do you think Southern can score in this game? Probably, okay, a good bit with perspective uh, because it is still Alabama, but it looked like there was some weaknesses with that defense, right? And they lost another starter for the year. Uh, Was it LeBron Ray, who's out for the season now for Alabama? Uh, Some bodies have dropped, and, I mean, they're not elite on that side of the ball right now, so it it's believable that they could score some points in Tuscaloosa and maybe keep it within 38. It's not out of the realm of possibility. Could could you see Southern Miss scoring 17? Oh, yeah, I can see that. New Mexico State scored 10. Okay. So now to get to the 38.5, Alabama's got to put a big number on the board. This might be one of those weeks where they... they tame it down so Saban has a reason to yell at them in the locker room. Although the end of the South Carolina game, the beginning as well, Alabama beat South Carolina in the meat of that football game, but I don't know, man. We said this on Monday. There's something about Alabama that doesn't feel right. And I can't put a finger on it other than they're giving up more points than usual, and that's very bland and on the surface and not diving real deep into it, but they don't feel right this year compared to the last few years. All right, here, here's the other side of that equation. Troy scored 42 on Southern Miss. Yeah. Tua is unbelievable. And so are those Alabama receivers. How big a number can Alabama put on the board? I mean, that's the other piece of that 38-and-a-half equation. I guess the question is more how many will they versus how many can they because I imagine with, as you mentioned, how good Tua is, they can probably name their score if they really wanted to. Rippy's 38-and-a-half here too many for you? I don't know. It's a lot, but it is Alabama. So 
I don't know. I mean, it would get the way that would, I guess, would get testy if Southern threatened for a third touchdown or two touchdowns and two field goals or something like that. Got in around 20, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. Because 58 20 or something like that, that's a large ask for even Alabama. And Southern, I imagine, is more confident defensively than New Mexico State. I don't say that as a dig. I just have not watched either team play a snap of football this season. So. No, no, I agree with you on that point. But again, just coming back to Troy scoring forty-two on them. Yeah, but, but there's only a certain number of possessions in a game, also. But there's also ways games go sometimes where, if a team finds something against you that's working, it just continues to happen. Like is Southern Miss's defense actually probably that porous? No. You also had that weird touchdown, touchdown, touchdown in thirty-six seconds thing that happened in the Troy. Southern Miss game on Saturday. LSU 23-point favorite at Vanderbilt? Might be my lock of the weekend to take LSU minus the 23. You got them like 38-10? to 10? Maybe even worse. They're so good offensively right now. Tennessee getting 14 in Gainesville. First start for Kyle Trask. This is his first start game, is it? Richard, this is his first start in seven years at quarterback. Seven years? Since his freshman year of high school. Huh? What? Yep. Was he hurt in high school? Something, and then somebody else took over. Yeah, first start in seven years. Hmm. Ole Miss, a two and a half point favorite at home against Cal. It's been kind of a strange line. Cal opened up as the early favorite. It almost immediately went to even and now seems to have settled at about two, two and a half. I think it stays there, Rippy. I have no clue. Are you surprised by the movement that, that has already happened? Yeah, I, I have no idea what to make of this game. Our dear friend Antonio Morales texted me about it earlier. Yeah. I was like, this makes no sense. I, I'm not saying Ole Miss is like, I don't know what to make of Cal or Ole Miss. I've seen all of Ole Miss's games. I've watched a small portion of Cal's when I was on a lot of Red Bull about 1 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And that was such a weird game. What was, the Red Bull? What was mixed with the Red Bull? Just Red Bull. It was the it, Ole Miss played Arkansas that night. Ah. I smuggled some in the press box. No big deal. Don't say anything. But... <laughs> I, I, I don't, I don't know. I, that game was so weird. It had two different delays. It was getting started. As it was, I wrote a second, like I wrote a story at like one o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Flipped it on like one forty-five. It's just starting. That can't be normal for them. The game itself was kind of weird. I don't know what to make of this. I don't know where this line will move. I wouldn't have begun to know where to set it. If you had asked me to set it, I think I would have said Cal minus six, or somewhere around the six-point range. Mm-hmm. And of course. That was dumb and wrong because it wasn't even close to that. So I, I really I, I have no feel for this. I think Cal's good enough to where if Ole Miss isn't good in the passing game. Cal is very much capable of shutting Ole Miss out, even though they're kind of very middle of the pack against the run. But if Ole Miss can't block their defensive line, like, they're not going to be middle of the pack against the run. Point being, like if Ole Miss is behind the sticks a la Memphis the first two and a half quarters, they could very well not score. I don't think Cal's very good offensively, so I don't know. You like the under? <laughs> I guess that's what I'm saying, but at the same time, like, I, I, I've really, I've, I've never had less of a feel for a, 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 like, a point spread or whatever as far as like, 
Ole Miss. Like when it comes out normally, I'm like, okay, that really makes sense as far as Ole Miss is concerned. But this one, I, I had no feel at all, to be completely honest. Texas A&M, four-point favorite at home against Auburn. First true road start for Bo Nix. It's a tough place to make your first true road start. Yeah, and it is. overwhelmingly partisan Auburn crowd in Mercedes-Benz Stadium and then back-to-back home games. A&M, that is a 2.30 CBS game, packed house. It's a tough ask. Mississippi State, six-and-a-half-point favorite at home against Kentucky. I don't know what to do with this game. Not at all. Um, Kind of a prove-it game for Mississippi State as well. Because this is one that, uh, going into the season, a lot of people that cover that team were just putting a W next to. And then their starting quarterback goes down, and suddenly they've got a guy that can sling it a little bit, and... Uh, Kansas State was more physical than you were, and the the crowd is not going to be good on Saturday at 3 o'clock, so you've got to create your own energy. and Difficult ask. By the way, Kyle Trask was just simply a backup in high school for three years. He played on the, we called it C team, but the freshman team as a starter and was a backup that threw for only 1,500 yards in his high school career. His he last start was in 2012. Big physical guy, big arm. Mm. Missouri's a 10-point favorite at home against South Carolina. Auburn, that's not Auburn, it's Arkansas, 20.5-point favorite at home against San Jose State. Georgia, 13.5 over Notre Dame. That's your college football fix driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Scott Rippey. Sports Talk brought to you by Mississippi Land Bank. We are going to talk with a guy that covers Kentucky coming up in about 15 minutes, Derek Terry from uh, 24-7 Sports. Let's talk some baseball for a second, though. We are close There is not much left in the regular season. 12 or 13 games, depending on who you look at. Is is everybody at 12 remaining? Mm, Maybe have some teams that have only got 11 games remaining. So let's do it. Let's start with standings, and then we'll look at the wild card, and then get into some other things. Yankees have a nine-game lead over the Rays. They're going to win the East. They have mathematically not clinched it yet, but they are really close. Uh, Twins have a five-game lead over the Indians with 12 to play. They'll be winning that. Astros have an eight-game lead over the Astros with eight to play. I'm sorry, with uh, 11 to play. They'll win that division. Braves have... Clinch the playoff berth. They have a 10-game lead on the Washington Nationals with 11 to play. The Cardinals have a two-game lead over the Cubs and a three-game lead over the Brewers in the NL Central. Cardinals have the difficult, the most difficult closing stretch, then the Cubs, and then the Brewers. The uh, the closing stretch for the Brewers is not terribly difficult. 
And the Dodgers are the only team in baseball that at this point have won the division, their division. They are 97-54 and and have a 20-game lead over the Diamondbacks. So wild card standings right now, assuming some division, some division leaders, the A's and the Rays are in the best spot for the wild card in the American League. The only other team that's got a chance is Cleveland. You think it finishes being those two, that the A's and the Rays are the two wild card teams? Yeah, I just think Cleveland maybe waited a little too long to get healthy, but it wouldn't surprise me if they got back in. There's not much ground to make up, even in a 12-game span, but at the rate they're playing right now, probably. I would say it would probably remain those two teams. 11 games left for those two teams. Cleveland's got 11 left as well. I mean, I say that. They're one out of hosting a wild card. Two, two out of hosting a wild card game. You're right. Come out in the division. No, Cleveland's two out back from being the first wild card in the loss column. They've 87, 63, 90, and 61. Yeah. So, no, I think it'll probably end up being those two teams, but that's not insurmountable. Nats, Cubs, Brewers. Three team race for the two wild card spots. If the Cubs or the Brewers were to catch the Cardinals, they could fall into that wild card scenario as well. Well, the Brewers is a shame Yelich is out because they kind of have the setup because you mentioned their schedule the rest of the way is very much not very difficult. And they're going to get to watch the Cubs and Cardinals play each other seven times. That's and they're right. only three games out of a division lead. Much and one out of a wild card, so that's going to be a fascinating finish. Cubs uh, are very bad outside of Wrigley. For Milwaukee, three left against San Diego, three against Pittsburgh, three against Cincinnati, and three against the Rockies. Those are the 12 games remaining for Milwaukee. It's pretty manageable. That is very manageable. You go, what, nine and three in those 12 games? And the Cubs and the Cardinals kind of beat up on each other a little bit? It's a 90 win team. Not very many 90 win teams get left out. But again, that's a product of the year. Rays were 90 wins last year and didn't make the playoffs. The Yankees made no moves at the trade deadline. But Aaron Judge said they just got their trade deadline pickup. Luis Severino returns and will start for the first time since October of 2018 tonight. The hope is that he will start three games between now and the end of the regular season trying to round him into form going into the playoffs. How big a deal can that be for the Yankees? I think that's a big deal as well as long as along with Batances returning. He hasn't pitched the entire season and came back. Yeah. So you got to feel pretty good about it. And it's a team that I mean the the injury list for the Yankees this year I mean, nobody feels sorry for the Yankees in anything. It but is it, remarkable what they've overcome given that payroll. They've got a nine-game... They're about to win the division for the first time since 2012. 12 or 14. I think it's the first, time, first division title since 2012. And they're going to win it by nine games. And they are... How many in front of Boston? Had it pulled up a second ago. 18 games in front of Boston. About the reigning World Series champs. What are you most excited about with the playoffs? Seeing how the Minnesota Twins factor into the AL 
that see how if they could disrupt the collision course that seems to be the Yankees and the Astros. But at the same time, you're going to have two 95, 96 win teams in the wild card game. Like, capable. The American League playoffs have a lot more intrigue and teeth to like teeth. I guess would maybe be the right word than the National League because the Dodgers are better than every single team in the National League. The closest competitor is probably the Braves, but the scariest matchup is if you get Washington in a three in a five game series to where they go Strasburg, Scherzer, Corbin. What do you do with that? It's probably not going to happen, but Borky, you could conceivably have five 100 win teams in the playoffs this year. Yankees are sitting on 98 wins. They're going to get there. Twins have got 92 with 12 to play. At least some pretty good baseball down the stretch. That's partly a reason we talked about going into the season that every single team in the National League sends the Marlins, and we said at the time the Giants, but they actually turned out to be somewhat competitive, were trying to win. And so that's probably why you see a lot more balanced records. Where in the National League, Blue Jays not trying, the Baltimore Orioles not trying, you know, you White Sox, Royals, Tigers, Angels, Mariners all not trying. You'd have the Yankees with 100 wins. The Twins could potentially get there. The Astros are going to have 100. In the National League, the Braves could get to 100. They're sitting on 93 right now. And the Dodgers at 97 wins are going to get to 100. I was looking at an ESPN analyst, or it was just a graphic of baseball writers in general, like division picks, and like people get so intoxicated by offseason moves, most of the time for good reason, but not a single person picked the Braves to win the division out of like 15 analysts because they didn't do anything in the offseason. Over the course of 127 seasons, 105 teams have won 100 or more games in a single Major League season. 100-win threshold is the hallmark of the best teams in a given year. And you're likely going, you're definitely going to have a th- have three. You could have four and you may have five. That's never happened. Three is the most to ever do it in a single year. And that has only happened seven times. 1942, the Cardinals won 106, the Brooklyn Dodgers won 104, and the Yankees won 103. You went 35 years between it happening. 1977, the next time, Royals 102, Phillies 101, Yankees 100. 98, Yankees won 114 games, most regular season wins in Major League Baseball history. That year, the Braves won 106, the Astros won 102. 2002, Yankees won 103, A's won 103. How about that 2002 A's team? They went 103 and 59, and the Braves won 101. 2003, the Yankees won 101, so did the Braves, and the Giants won 100. 2017, it was the Dodgers, the Indians, and the Astros, and then last year, the Red Sox with 108, the Astros with 103, and the Yankees, as a wild-card team, won 100 games. So only seven times in the history of Major League Baseball have three teams won 100 games. Will this be the first year? You think one of those teams that's at like 93, 94 gets there? 
tough to say. Got a shot. Man, way to go out on that limb. Thank you. Actually, blood bank guarantee it's happening. There you go. Four or five? Seven. Jeez. See what I'm dealing with here, Borky. I don't know how you do it. <laughs> Such a tough life. Sports Talk Mississippi. Darren. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.